Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Josh. Uh, it's great to see all of you here for worship at OCC. We are a couple weeks into uh, uh, this series of messages called The Reason for Me, and in this series, we're looking at the answer to some questions. The primary question is this. It's why do I exist? This is one that we keep going back to. Why am I here? And so far in this series, as we've looked in the Bible, we've looked at God's purposes for our lives, and, and we've asked the question, like, how do, how do we know God? How has he made himself known? Uh, how, do, how do I love God? And if you've missed either, any of those messages, those are on our website. This morning, specifically, I want to look a little further into that question there and tweak that or add to it, I guess, and ask the question, why do I exist here and now? Like location, why do I exist here? Why am I living here? What's the purpose of being here in this part of the world and at this time now in, in history? Have you ever stopped to, to or slowed down to really ask that question? When was the last time you wrestled with this? Did you know that you actually live in, in the most densely populated state in the U.S.? Here, here's a map based on that. This is the U.S. map distorted by population. Things look a little off there. This is based on population. So I'm sorry if the state you were born in has been moved <laughs> to fit the map. So notice, you know, whoever built the map took liberty and shuffled some things around. So you got, you got New York. It's so large, it couldn't just be tucked in the, in the east. Now it's overtaken where Michigan was. And you have West Virginia. Apologize for those of you born in West Virginia. It's, it's sort of in the central part now, northern central, under the new Ohio. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting way of looking at our population. Now, how do, you, how do you feel about this? I mean, what, what is your internal response to this? You, you live in a packed state. Not all of our state, but, I mean, if you go to the Central Valley of California, you, if any of you have been like Fresno, Bakersfield, <laughs> there's not as many people living in those. Probably there's still a lot of people in Fresno, but between Fresno and Bakersfield and Central Valley, it's, it's sparsely populated. There's still people living there. But we could even distort the map of California. I don't have a map to show that, but it would show just the, the amount of people that live right here, like in Southern California. It's just packed with people. And I don't know how you feel about that. Some of us enjoy this. Some of us really, really like this aspect of living here in Southern California. Some of you, or some of us, I should say, may despise the fact that it's so crowded here. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you, if you, if you don't like the 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 fact that it's really packed, there's a lot of traffic. I'm sure that I could get everyone griping right now about that if I wanted to. But according to a study I was reading last month, there's actually from 2007 to 2016, about 5 million people who came into California to live. And during those same nine years, 6 million people left California. So 5 million came in, 6 million went out. And so what that tells us is people are coming to our state, people are leaving, sort of makes you wonder, does it even matter where I live? Does it even matter anymore where you decide to plant yourself and where you 
take root. I, I want to make this point this morning, and it, this is at the top of the listening guide. This, this will help you follow along with generally where we're going this morning. This is in your, in your program. It's no accident that you live where you do. It is not an accident that, that God has placed you in this area at this time in history. And we looked at this verse a few weeks ago. It's from Paul's sermon to the Greek philosophers in, in Athens. Athens was the center of the philosophical discussions. And so Paul, this church starter, church planter, a man who, before he knew Christ, was he hated Christians. He despised what they stood for. They were ruining his way of life, his religious thinking, his upbringing. And so he was dead set on seeing Christianity advance. And so he was a part of persecuting Christians, rounding up Christians. But then he had this major encounter with Christ. And it radically transformed his life to where he becomes the champion of the church, starts spreading the word that Jesus was risen from the dead. And he begins sharing that, planting churches. And many of the churches that we read about the letters in the New Testament, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians. He, he had a part to play in, in those churches' uh, beginnings. And when Paul is in Athens amongst the philosophers, he makes this statement to these, to these intellectuals who are wrestling with sort of the existential questions of life, like why do I exist, why are we here, what's the point of it all? Paul makes this statement. They believed in, 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 in Greece there, in many gods, and so... He wants to tell them about the one true God. So this is part of a sermon from Paul to that group. It says this. He he preached this, and he said, From one man, he's telling the crowds, From one man, he made every nation of men. What he's saying is God, he makes Adam, and from Adam, all of us, and everybody in Athens there, and all of us here, we can all trace our lives back to this one man, Adam, that God made. So that's the verse. From one man, he made every nation of men that they... Mankind should inhabit the whole earth. And that's what happened. I mean, Adam and Eve had kids, and the mandate to fill the earth, eventually people spread, and, and God scattered people when they were not wanting to obey. In Genesis 11, you can read about that. But, but on and on and on, people multiplying and then and moving. And so, and it says God determined the times set for them, meaning God determines when you're going to live and the exact places where they should live. This is the message Paul is preaching. God is saying, it's not an accident, you live where you live. Verse 27, God did this, Paul, Paul declared to them, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. God scattered us across this planet so that we would be drawn to know him. We looked at this a few weeks ago, that there's things about this region that, you you really enjoy now you know you don't like the traffic it's kind of stick and twisted if you if you enjoy that experience unless you're being paid to sit in the traffic maybe that's different but you know there's things you don't like but there's things you probably really really enjoy about living here you have the beach you have the mountains you have you have the city you have uh, you have things to do you have the beauty of what's made here you you, you enjoy and anywhere you go in this country the people who are living there they'll, they'll tell you the best of that region. If you find a local in any city you travel to, you ask the locals, what, what's good to do around here? What do I need to see around here? <clears throat> and they're going to they're gonna point you to that. And no doubt when we think through why we're here and 
in this region and ask the reasoning questions of why, why are we here? It leads to the question, like, who put us here? Who's behind all this? Who made these mountains? Who made the ocean? Who made the beaches? Who, who, who scattered the stars in the way they did? Who, who made this? Life on this planet, but life even in the region, prompts us to ask deeper questions about who's behind all this. And that's what Paul is talking about here. God, God did this so we would seek him and find him. I was listening to a lecture recently in Anaheim. I took one of my sons with me to hear an expert in creation history, uh, a man by the name of Ken Ham. He, if you aren't familiar with Ken Ham, he built an ark. It's the, it's the number one Christian attraction, I think, in the world, like man-made Christian attraction in the world. He built an ark in the state of Kentucky to resemble Noah's ark. He built it from the specs in the Bible. And it, it is housed with rooms and displays where you can walk through and learn about God's creation. And it's a challenge to evolutionary thinking. And so it's, it's from what I've seen on, online and, and on his site, it's fascinating. And anyway, he was speaking out here in Anaheim, and I went to listen to him speak on creation and some chapters out of Genesis specifically. And one of the resources he was pointing to was this chart. Here's a picture of the chart. It was the Adam's synchronological chart. I don't know if you enjoy charts and maps. I like looking at things. I like the visual side of, of learning. And so this chart, it's a 23-foot-long, 27-inch-tall, illustrated timeline of biblical and world history. And it's a resource that kind of helps us understand that every person and every event is part of a much grander picture and purpose. And so here, here's you know another picture of it. If you're if you're a visual chart person, then you might check this out. I think it's around forty bucks on Amazon. He had a display or like a, there was a tent where he was offering books and stuff, and was buying some of his book, books. And I saw this and I thought, man, I want one, but everybody else wanted one, so they they were out of there really quick. But it's like forty bucks. Here's another picture of it, just so you can see the size of it. Because as you know, there's a lot of things that have happened in the world. <laughs> a lot of people that have lived. Now you're probably not going to find your name. On the chart, unless there's a really famous person here. I think this was made in 2015 or 2014. But you're going to find some some things you can trace your life from. You'll find some people that you're connected to if you if you look carefully and you start thinking through, where do I come from? Where, where? Well, and it traces back to the beginnings, to Adam. And we see that all that God has been doing and, and the people through he's been doing it, in working through, we recognize further that, man, our years on earth and our location are not an accident. This is very much a part of God's intentional plan. He's working. And now here's where we live. Southern California, specifically this region of the Inland Empire. You know, you find your bearings, so find yourself. It's a good philosophical question there. Find yourself. Get your bearings for a moment, Okay. Now, at the bottom of the map is Orange Crest, and so that's where you're sitting right now. But I imagine some of you might, be, you might live south, east, north, west. You might not be on the map even. But Now, here's a, here's a Google map of, of the OCC church family. These are all the adults. And, you know, if we, if we had a map and that we were able to zoom in closer, you'd be able to see some of these more densely flagged regions. There's, there's, there's uh, flags on top of each other because of where people live. But you get a sense of where people live that come to this church. And... These are just the adults. You know, we've got, we've got a handful of, of students and children around here as well. Uh, we have, uh, I think, 200 and 
20 or so adult members and probably about 250 to 275 adult regular attenders. And so there's a lot of adults here. There's a lot of kids and students here. And uh, the point in, in showing you this is that our church is called Orange Crest Community Church. But according to this, people from all over this region seem to be involved in this church. So our small groups sort of reflect the fact that we're We're a regional church, so we have small groups in all of these different regions. Now, when you zoom in a little further and think about where do you live and you think about your neighborhood, you'd have to look at something different, like this map. So this is like my life. You know, this is where I shop. This is where maybe I go to the store, where I watch a movie. This is the Starbucks. This is the parks. This is, you know, this is where I do life. If you flip to the next slide, you know, you're, you have a, you have a neighborhood. You have your own neighborhood map somewhere. Might be, might be real similar to mine if you live right here in, in this area. But wherever you live, you sort of have a region that you frequent certain places. You have shops you go to, you have restaurants, you have your your top spots, your top places. And the question I ask is, does it have any special significance for you? Do you do you have any anything that jumps out at you about your neighborhood? What do you enjoy about your place? You ever stop to think about like why why am I here? Like specifically, why has God placed me where He's Place me. Why do I have roots in this in this town? Do you ever do you ever see this as more than just like a place to, to lay your head? Do you see it as a destination, or do you see it like as man? I'm just passing through. I'm just passing through. I'm just camping out here for a little while. Uh, maybe this you look at it as the mission field, and you're like, this God's put me here on purpose. I have a purpose. God's trying. To, God wants to use me in this region. Or maybe it's just it's just the rest place. I just rest here. Some people call. Their place, their cave, like their man cave, you know. Some call it their sanctuary. It's like, and I live here. I don't want anybody to know where I live. I got tinted windows on my car. I got shades that I wear when I'm driving up. (laughs) I got my clicker so I can hit the garage door button. I can get in my garage, shut the door. I can shut the world out and go in my cave and disconnect. Now, what if we viewed our, our neighborhood, our places that we live, our city as part of this whole reason that we're here. What if we saw things differently? Because with all of our modern convenience, it's really possible for us to lose our sense of place and lose our sense of purpose. And in this series, what we're trying to do is we're trying to flesh out what is called in the Bible the Great Commandment. Jesus, he answered the question that a man posed to him. The question from the person we looked at the last couple of weeks is, what's the greatest commandment? He's specifically referring to God's laws in the Old Testament. What's the greatest of all those commandments? There's a whole lot of them. What's the greatest one? And Jesus told him, the greatest is to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. And then he gives him a bonus. Bonus, love your what? Love your neighbor. Yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. And, And so he gives him these number one priority, love God with all your heart. With everything in your being, love God. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. To miss these purposes is to miss your reason for being here in this time and in this place. So according to Jesus, loving your neighbor is crucial. It's crucial to why you're here. And I want to flesh this out. I want to really zero in on this particular portion of the great commandment. Why and how do I love my neighbor? When he says this is the second greatest commandment, how, how, does, that, how does that look? And so we're going to get into another dialogue that Jesus had with a lawyer this time. This was slightly different than the previous one, talking with some religious folks. This is a lawyer from religious law, in a sense, Jewish law. The Jewish uh, lawyers, they were, there was sort of a 
they were both experts in the law, but there was a, a tight-knit political connection to the religion and to the ways that they just lived and did life. And so but it's very similar dialogue that we looked at from the book of Matthew. This is found in Luke chapter 10, and it brings up a very familiar story. So I'm going to set up the story uh, by looking at this dialogue. So let's look at verse uh, 25 through 28 first. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He stands up. Jesus is there. Luke records the motive. The motive is in this, in this verse. Look at the motive. What was the motive? It was a, it was a test, okay? Sometimes we ask questions because we really want to know. Sometimes we ask questions because we have an agenda. We're trying to trap. That's, this is, there's a trap here. He's trying to test Jesus. This was a test from a man who knew the Jewish law and the Jewish uh, traditions, the tradition of all the rabbis. So he, he asked the question, teacher, he's referring to Jesus, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here's the reply. This is Jesus' words. Well, he asks the guy a question. What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He kicks it back to the lawyer. So then he, the, the lawyer, answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Interesting. That's, that's familiar, right? I mean, that's what Jesus answered another guy. And verse 28, so, you know, he says, love the Lord your God, then love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, Jesus says, you've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Let's pause there for a moment. Now, if eternal life is really available, we need to discover how to get it. If there really is such a thing as eternity, we need to know how to get there. That's what this man's question is about. The man knew what the law of God required. The, the command calls for total commitment to selfless love. He says, I guess I need to love God with everything. Selfless love towards God, selfless love towards people. Jesus says, nailed it. You got it. Have you ever watched Jeopardy? Anybody watch Jeopardy in here? Raise your hand if you've ever watched Jeopardy. Okay. When I watched Jeopardy as a kid, I was pretty bad at Jeopardy. But as I've grown older, I'm like an expert now in Jeopardy, I feel like. I was... <laughs> I, I, I think just through age and time, you pick up random facts. And so I was with my, uh, my, ki- my, my kids and my nieces over Christmas break, and we binge-watched Champion of Champions for a little while. And I was really getting into it. I'm sipping some Diet Coke, and I'm like, pterodactyl, <laughs> North Korea, hieroglyphics. You know, I'm just nailing it. And the kids are like, wow, Uncle Josh, you're pretty good. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, you know. <laughs> Have you ever had, you know, as you get older, you get a little better at Jeopardy. You know, and I'm hanging with some of the champion of champions in my head. I'm like adding up the dollars that I would have been winning. And, uh, you know, occasionally what category pops up is the Bible category. You seen the Bible category? And, you know, you can, you know, you can get these in there. This is your chance to, to know your Bible. And, and, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people know their Bible. They know the Bible, whether or not they walk with God or you know, are Christians or attention, they know the Bible. Some people have studied the Bible. They've had some Bible in their life, some church time in their life. Well, in the story here that we're reading from the scripture, this man, he knew the answer. He knew the answer. It's not just some inconsequential question. This is actually the, the question of all questions. He's asking, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? This is a big question. You need to know this. And he's right. He knows the answer. Jesus told him, nailed it. 
It's like Alex Trebek, correct, or whatever he would say, you know. Nailed it right, right, yeah. That's not good, Alex Trebek, but, you know, you nailed it. But then he says this, do this and you will live. Now, here's the problem. With this requirement, the lawyer knew the answer and the lawyer was accountable. But like the rest of us and everyone who's ever lived on this planet, we're just not able to keep the law perfectly. If that's what it takes to inherit eternal life, loving God with my whole heart, loving my neighbor, can we say, yeah, I'm good, nailed it. Might know the answer to the question, but can you really nail that? Like, can you really say, I've loved him with a selfless love and I've loved people. Now, at this point, he had a choice to make. I mean, he, the lawyer, could have just been honest about his condition, which is, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I haven't done this completely. I haven't fulfilled this law very well. I mean, I've, I've tried, just like you and I, we've tried. None of us have, have got this down and fulfilled God's laws perfectly. He could have just admitted you know what, I know the answer, and I'm, I'm trying, but I'm a hopeless case. I mean, after all, he's standing before the God of the universe in the flesh. He could have just fallen down before him and said, have mercy on me. I fall short. I know the law, but I fall short of the law. And here's the good news. I mean, the good news, great news, is if you can identify with the lawyer, and you feel like, you know what, I don't measure up, then the good news is that Jesus offered up his life. He went to the cross, offered up his perfect life, on the cross, and God offers to us his grace and mercy to us if we stop trying to earn our way into God's favor and, and yield to Jesus and, and accept his forgiveness. If you've never done that, I mean, we'd love to help you to come talk to any of our staff about that. But this man, he could have cried out for mercy, and instead he did what so many of us try to do. He, his pride and his self-righteousness took over. And so he's going to try to keep testing and he's going to try to find a way to measure up on his own. And so look at where it goes. Verse 29. Verse 29. But he, the lawyer, wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? And Jesus, he answers this follow-up question in a very instructive way. He, be, he, he launches into a story, a parable. And a parable is, it's He's just telling a story to answer and, and drive home a main point with a core lesson. So here's a story. It's a very familiar story about a good Samaritan. Now here it is, Luke 10, verse 30 through 37. In reply, Jesus said, so this story is in, re, in reply to the question, who's my neighbor? Because if I'm supposed to love the neighbor as myself, as, as purpose number two, I should, I should know who my neighbor is. Who's my neighbor, Jesus says. Well, let me tell you a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. Now, I've never been to the Holy Land. Some of you have been to the Holy Land. Uh, to go from Jerusalem to Jericho is only 15 miles. And so depending on how often you walk, you, know, you probably walk on flat ground 15 miles in about, I don't know, four to six hours maybe, right? I mean, I think. <laughs> it'd be... It'd be I think that'd be possible, right? Four to six hours to do that. So it'd be a half day to walk 15 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho. But Jericho was 3,500 feet, is 3,500 feet in elevation below Jerusalem. And so to get from there, even though it's 15 miles, it's, it's, it's descending on very rough 
uh, difficult terrain to, to walk down. So not great trails, rocky formations, caves. Just imagine like hiking down box springs or something and cutting your own trails. It's going to take you a while, right? And so with caves and rock formations, great place for robbers to hide out and, and jump people. And so that's what Jesus sets up this scene. And that's what happens. Robber jumps out. Now, it continues, and it says, They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. Good news, right? I mean, you would think, great timing. Priest shows up. Certainly, the servant of God would help. Well, when he saw the man, he sees the man. He passes by on the other side as if he doesn't see him. So, too... A Levite, Levites are, they're religious people as well. They are like assistants to the priests. A Levite, when he came to the place and saw this beaten man, passed by on the other side. And then the unexpected twist in Jesus' story. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, a Samaritan basically is uh, is describing the, the uh, a group of people who, were of mixed ancestry. So they were Jewish and Gentile ancestry. And because of this, the Jews looked down on Samaritans. They were looked down upon as like lesser than. And so Jesus actually takes an outcast individual and says, look at who, look at who gets involved. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. Now, it's interesting. Jesus, again, he's talking to a Jewish lawyer and he says, the priest ignored him. The Jewish priest ignored him. The, the Jewish Levite ignored him. This lesser than Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins. He gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Then he he, he says, which of these turns to the he steps out of the story, turns back to the lawyer and says, now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the Roberts? The expert in the law, the lawyer, he replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, he's trying to teach a main point here. He's, he's just answering the question, who's my neighbor? The answer is the one who had mercy. That's who the neighbor is. That's, that's, if you're wondering about that, that's, you might you know, jot that down or circle that. The one who had mercy. That's how God defines the, the target of our love for people. When, when we see a situation where someone is in need and we need to show mercy, we need to keep that really clear. Jesus makes the identity of our neighbor clear. It's the person right there in front of you who is in need. It's it's the people that are in your path. If you're a Christ follower, you're commanded to show love to the people on your path. What this does, if if we understand this, this brings an enormous amount of purpose and meaning to why we live where we live at this time. Why God's placed us here? Because there's people around you in this region that are crossing your path and my path every day. Now let's go back to the story for a moment. The priest and the Levite, they're pretty typical. They're people that represent those who are too busy with their own life, too busy with their own agenda to stop and help a person in need. It's easy to sort of do that. It's easy to close off our heart to the people around us because we get really, really wrapped up in our own world. 
Uh, a few days before Christmas, I was on Van Buren here with my wife driving uh, west, and all of a sudden, we got, in, we got hit from behind. Car plows into the back of our vehicle a couple days before Christmas. The very next day, we're going to be driving out of town, and it's like, oh, what a, what a headache. For a moment, just first thing was, are we okay? Are we okay? Checking on you know, ourselves. We're okay. We get out of the vehicle. The car that hit us was just destroyed. I mean, the front, they hit a truck, and when you hit a truck in a small car, it's usually not good for the, the small car. And so they were okay, thankfully, but their car was destroyed. I mean, it was, his front end was rolled up. It was smoking. It was leaking. There's fluid on the ground. The airbags had blown. The windshield had shattered. It, it was, you know, and he's still in the left lane of traffic. And I was able to pull off to the right lane. There was a turn lane, so I pulled into the turn lane. Now, what was shocking to me were the attitudes of the people driving by. No one stopped to check on us. No one got out of their cars to, and no one, no one, you know, put their cars in front to say, hey, avoid this area, put some hazards out while we waited for people to come and check, you know, policemen, paramedics, anything like that. No one stopped to, to, to see if anyone was okay. Instead, you know what happened? What, what do you think happened? People start honking horns. I mean, people are honking their horns. They're, they're angry at us because they're late somewhere. They're, they're in the way. We're in the way. It's Christmas. Got somewhere to go. It's a season of joy and Thanksgiving. Get out of the way. <laughs> and I, I'm, like, I'm like having sort of an out-of-body experience evaluating what's happening because uh, one lady rolls her window down and starts cussing us all out. And I am like, now needless to say, this was not a proud moment for humanity. I mean, I don't know if you've had that experience, but it's sort of a get-out-of-my-way culture these days. i got somewhere to be. Have you ever had to dodge a distracted walker these days? You see somebody distracted? This is a new sign that you can find in some places. People can get so focused right now we can get so focused on our smartphones that the people around us are sort of just like objects. They're like poles and trash cans. And you sort of just like see them out of your peripheral and you, you know. Well, that's what was going on with the priest and the Levite in the story that Jesus is telling. And it shouldn't be that way. And all of us know that we should really care for, for people. We should get involved. I mean, let's go back to the hero of the story, the Good Samaritan. He's the only guy who showed love to, to his neighbor. The victim of the story was robbed and left you know, for dead, notice the, the response of the Good Samaritan. When he saw him, he took pity on him. The, the Greek wording for this word pity that we have in English, it, it's in the Greek it literally means to be moved as to one's inwards. To, to be moved, it's talking about your, 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 your stomach, your organs in your stomach, your, in, your inwards. You're moved in the inwards. That's what the word pity means here. Uh, has anyone of you had someone else in their life in extreme pain and, and hardship and, and brokenness and that that situation has made you sick to your stomach? I, I have several times where I, 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 I'm – something happens and it's just it makes me sick to my stomach. And, and it, it, gets, it, it, it gets to me. I let it get to me on the inside. 
That's what this is describing. The Samaritan took pity. Not pity like I look down on them, but this is a pity in the sense of compassion. This is not like I look down on pity. This is a, I let it get to me. I'm, I'm, I'm hurting for you. That's what is being described here. And the, the challenge is we become so numb to the needs around us that we don't let anything get on the inside anymore because there's just so many needs in the world. So we shut ourselves off. We, we keep some space. We walk on the other side of the road like the Levite, like the priest. And, but the Good Samaritan, he moved in and he took action to meet needs. This is why we exist. This is, this is one of God's great purposes for your life, to get involved. Look at verse 34. This is what he, he, went, he went to him. He moved towards him. He bandaged the guy's wounds. He starts pouring oil. This is, this is his own resources he's pouring out to help the person in need. He adjusted his schedule in that moment. Look, the next part of the verse. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and he took care of him. He went out of his way to take care of this man's needs. But interesting point from this that Jesus is making is that the Good Samaritan had his own responsibilities because there was a certain point where he needed to go and, and do some other things, but he paid the expense for this broken and hurt man. Now, in case you're wondering, does Jesus want me or God want me to just drop every responsibility in my life and be the good Samaritan? Is that what he just wants me to be irresponsible and just going with the flow? No, I mean, the, the good Samaritan went out of his way, met the need in the moment. But then there's a point where he, he, he leaves because he's got some other things to do, but he, he still cares. He goes out of his way. He extends himself. He overextends. He says, look, I'm good for anything. I'm, I'll pay whatever is needed in this situation. Now, as I walk through the story here, you might be thinking, well, that's great, but I, I still don't have any time for anything like that. And we pay people to take care of our needs. We pay first responders. They'll take care of it. You know, how many times do we think, oh, someone, someone, someone else will step in, someone else will help with that. We pay city workers. There's social workers. There's the religious workers. We'll, the, you know, we'll let other folks take care of this. The officials will do it. Now, God doesn't expect us to drop our responsibilities to meet all the needs around us, but he does call us to see the needs, to open up our eyes, to see the needs of others and meet them as we're able while still carrying out our responsibilities. This is a step way beyond what makes sense to us, and we need God's help to love like this. I want to get real specific. Flip to the back of that listening guide and take a moment to do this exercise. It's going to take, we'll give you some moments to think this through, and I want to encourage you to go back to this this week. Identify the top three places where you have opportunity to meet needs. I apologize for the question mark on there. I think that's just a symbol that showed up. But that's not a question. It's more of a, a statement assignment there. Identify the top three places where you have opportunity to meet needs. Where has God placed you? Where are you? Why do I exist here and now? Where are you? I don't know what image helps you. Maybe maybe the regional map. Maybe the neighborhood map that we brought up. Maybe there's another map that comes to your mind to answer this question. But where are you? Where has God placed you? There are reference points that represent opportunities. Maybe it's the store. Maybe it's the park. Maybe it's the gym. Maybe it's the dog park. Maybe it's the ball field. Maybe, maybe it's your block. Try to identify three places that represent where God may be calling you to meet needs. These are your paths. These are the frequent routes and places where we can connect and serve.
Take a moment, just think through that. And here's, here's a few things to focus. Once you identify those three places, then be on the lookout. Here's, here's some points below that. Be on the lookout in those places. Be on the lookout. What am I looking for? Well, I'm looking for unexpected needs and encounters that are opportunities to show love to people. Sometimes these are opportunities where you can identify with Christ. You can identify, you know, I, I, I follow Jesus and He's, he's changed my life. As you get to know people, and people say, hey, why would you stop and help me? Well, you know, God, God has helped me in so many ways. And I, just, I exist to help other people. I want to I help others with challenges that show up in, 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 in their lives. God has met needs in our lives, and he does that so we can be a blessing to other people. But be on the lookout. You've got to actually, we, got, we have to be aware and looking. Now, I don't know if you've seen this clip. I want to show you a clip from... Penn and Teller. So uh, the entertainer, the magician, uh, had this to say about meeting a Christian who came up to him and shared with him after one of his shows and gave him something. And it had a profound effect on him. So let's watch this clip. talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position, after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And, um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the, uh, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said... Um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, I saw the show, and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition um, I thought I said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And 
It was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. Wow. That's, that's pretty powerful, though. Essentially, he's saying, I respect the integrity of a Christian who actually would share with me what they believe is the key to eternal life. I respect a person for that. For what they're, now, he, just, he doesn't agree yet. I mean, he's, he's still resisting that, doesn't believe that. But it takes people being on the lookout for opportunities like that to say, here's an opportunity for me to share or to meet a need. Now, you know, the man met, he was trying to meet a spiritual need, eternal life. There's all sorts of things that lead to those types of conversations. There's physical needs, there's other emotional needs, there's other needs that God shows us we can meet needs. Sometimes God nudges us to really speak up or step out of the norm. And when you speak up, uh, God can use that, clearly. God can use that. The guidance that God gives, 1 Peter 3.15 says, When you share your faith, do that with gentleness and respect. Don't just be a bully. Don't just be uh, uh, rude to people. Be, be gentle. Be respectful. But people need to know the truth that we, that we possess. When they have a question, you have an answer. Share it. Here's something else to keep in mind as we're wrapping up. Be present and not distracted. 
Only the Samaritan was aware and available to meet the need in the moment. Consider the areas that are preventing us from being present today. Oftentimes it's the technology. Sometimes we need to learn to change our notification settings so that we can be fully present with people. And put the technology in its proper place. Here, I'm going to visit it here and here and here, but it's not going to run my life. Without controls on it, it just runs our life. There's a huge wave of people nowadays moving away from technology in order to be fully present. More and more people are saying, I'm ditching the smartphone. We're going the old school phone. Flip phone. Because I just want to be present with people. What's the purpose of this phone? Well, it's communication. It's helpful. But sometimes it takes us over. It keeps us from loving people. Third, build margin. Build margin. We need, we need some space to be able to help people. If we're rushing around, we don't have time to stop. I want to encourage you, take some time this week to go further with God on this. Moms, dads, students, neighbors, coworkers, workplace, stores. Let's remember, why are we here? This is one of God's core purposes. Love people. Love your neighbor. As we wrap up, think through these next steps. I, I really would encourage you to do some work personally on this. If we all go before God this week and spend some time in prayer and reflection, I think God will lead us on how he wants us to apply this message to our lives. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for every person here. God, everyone here matters to you. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us to this place to be able to worship together, to be able to hear from your word. I pray that as we wrestled with this story and questions on meaning, Lord, that you would cut through the noise in our life to, the, to our heart of hearts to get uh, so we would get real Lord with you get honest with you thank you for uh, the work you're doing to draw us here this morning and, and to speak through your word to us I pray that as we leave we would not uh, place this in uh, just a category in our mind where we dismiss it but that you would uh, move us Lord to take action this week and respond to you we pray we ask you for all these things in the name of jesus christ amen thanks so much for joining us today we pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to god's word join us again next week for another orange crest community church podcast